Welcome to the EverSaline podcast, the show that ignites your passion for leadership and empowers you to develop a culture of continuous improvement. I'm your host, Matt Sims, and in each episode, we bring you fascinating insights and invaluable tips from our incredible lineup of guests. What do they all have in common? They share an unwavering dedication to excellence and are the experts in driving engagement, improving metrics, and reducing costs. The Ever So Lean Podcast with Matt Sims. You know it makes sense. This episode is sponsored by Catalyst Consulting Limited. Catalyst Consulting exists to help people and organisations work better today and be ready for tomorrow. They have a rich history of igniting business transformation using business agility, lean, Six Sigma, strategy deployment, agile and change management. They can help you and your organisation to develop the skills necessary to work and manage differently. To find out more, check out catalystconsulting.co.uk. Right, hold on to your seats because today we are breaking new ground on the Eversaline podcast. We are taking lean methodology to an entire new level and exploring how it can be applied in the legal industry. And to give us an insider's view, we have the one and only Sarah Harris joining us here in the studio. Now, with over a decade of experience as a criminal barrister, regulatory partner and CI practitioner, Sarah is now leading her firm's innovation offering whilst also being the first participant in the law field to successfully graduate as a Lean Six Sigma Business Black Belt, a BQF accredited program that focuses on the needs of organisations in the digital age. Excellent qualification. Can't wait to hear all about that. So buckle up, folks, as we dive into the exciting world of Lean In Legal with the incredible Sarah Harris as we find out what Lean In Law actually looks like, the challenges and the benefits it's bringing. Sarah, welcome to the Ever Saline podcast. Thanks, Matt. Nice to be here. What an eventful half an hour we just had. It's been great fun. <laughs> <laughs> It really has. Talk about innovation. Can't even get the headsets to work. It's always the way, isn't it? It's, we've had Lean Six Sigma for Dummies <laughs> book out. Martin would be proud of us. We've had it out. We've worked out the root cause. Was the mic wasn't turned on? <laughs> <laughs> it's good fun. It's really good fun. It shows the tools do work. No, it's brilliant. I'm so pleased you're here. When you think about Lean and continuous improvement, you think about production lines and car manufacturers and yeah. logistics. You don't think about things like law. So it's so interesting. Yeah, and it's been a real it's been a real journey about how sort of how it successfully fits into sort of professional services and law in particular. I bet. I'm really looking forward to hearing all about it. So before we dive into that then, let's hear a little bit about you then, your career highlights. What have you been up to? Well, it, it's been a bit of a circuitous sort of journey to where, where I am now. As I say in my in LinkedIn profile, I'm a bit of a kind of shapeshifter in terms of what my job title is. But I think all the things that run through it is that essentially I'm just sort of an advocate. I enjoy advocating for change, being enthusiastic for change, and really kind of being persuasive around why we need to kind of challenge things, stay on top of the changing kind of customers and clients that use law. So that's kind of been the thread that run, runs through it. I started off, as you say, sort of criminal barrister, having had a very brief stint as a, as a child actress, the highlight of which was playing the recorder next to Sonia in EastEnders with her trumpet. I don't know if you remember Sonia <laughs> with her trumpet. I don't know yes. if any other listeners do, but that was, that was a highlight. I shared a stage with her. And then I realised, right, it's not for me. I'm going to go to the bar. That's amazing. And so it was at um, a Chambers, a criminal set in London for five years, sort of prosecuting and defending various criminal 
um, offences. And then I went on to comment to Kings in Apley initially just sort of for six months it was meant to be advocating and doing um, hearings for large um, national healthcare regulators and then that then led to sort of client management client relationship for those large clients which is the obvious sort of segue into then lean because lots of the work we were doing was higher volume for fixed fees so that the margins were all in kind of eliminating waste and thinking with a lot more discern about what it is you're actually doing and describing as a process so you can see how that then flowed into lean and at the time I was lucky to work with a colleague called Rowena Ricks she was a real proponent of lean six sigma she was really into the stat side of things and so that was where we kind of started with kind of demaic projects in those particular areas of law and then became a partner at, at KN and I've now taken a more sort of central role in the firm. So moving away from just the regulatory side, looking at the whole business, because we've got 12 practice areas. So looking at the whole business and how we kind of drive innovation and create a kind of innovation culture. So it's been a bit of a journey. Highlight of which being Sonia's musical buddy. I know. I should have just stopped there, shouldn't I? Taken the rest of it off. You know, that's, that's a, yeah, it was, it was good fun. From memory, she was awful at the trumpet as well. Yeah, she was, which meant that I, you know, there was less pressure on me from a recorder point of view. It was... <laughs> <laughs> and you also recently completed the business black belt as well, didn't you? I did, yeah, with Catalyst, which was, which was brilliant because there was a recognition on Catalyst's part, which I think is, you know, quite forward-looking that actually in professional services, lean can be applied differently. Certainly the stats side of it, the statistical parts still have their place, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of other ways of implementing it that have more relevance and are more, I guess, user-friendly to those in professional services. Sometimes that can be the thing that puts people off, isn't it? That technical side of it. Absolutely. It put me off because I looked at it and thought, well, how am I going to apply that to what I do? Is it really relevant? And I was a bit scared of it and I was like, I can't do that. Yeah, it it, it was really sort of off-putting to me as well. I've never been any good any good at maths or any kind of um, statistics but what I think is key is that actually and I sort of talk about the challenges of doing it in law I think moving away from the jargon and moving away from some of the kind of traditional principles is okay and I think what's nice about Catalyst is that they're recognizing that the need to kind of adapt principles for different audiences because you know you go into a room full of lawyers who are really super busy looking after clients and you start talking about standard deviation they're like well I don't really I'm not this isn't really relevant to me it's making it relevant kind of and translating it without them even knowing what it is they're doing in some respect you know getting people to do demerit projects without being like right we are in the define phase you know I think sometimes we can just move away from that sort of you know having to use the jargon all the time yeah I know what you mean some people are switched off by the term methodology as well some people just don't like that that strict you must follow this you must do that there's a a condition I don't know if you're aware of it I think it's called PDA and it means that uh, basically as a human being you struggle to follow instruction or or struggle to follow direction Mm. and I think more so nowadays we're now looking more at things like that and other learning difficulties that people have and sometimes you do need to adapt and it's great to see that we are adapting Lean Six Sigma to be able to fit into that sort of environment Mm. I'm really intrigued to know how does Lean actually fit into the the law field (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, KN was was one of the sort of first law firms, certainly in the UK, that were applying Lean and Lean Six Sigma in the legal field. One of um, one of a number of firms. It was way back, kind of in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and back then they were kind of just pockets around the firm of little, just these little ring fenced projects because there was me and Rowena who was quite interested by it. 
but sort of it was quite immature in that sense. Whilst senior leadership were obviously supportive in the sense that allowed us to do it, it was still quite sort of marginal. But over the 15 years, it's really, really developed. So we've now established a centralised programme from 2020 onwards. So we've got our own Master Black Belt, Cliff, who sort of has has led on that centralised programme. And our model is essentially to have a small central team of CI experts who run projects cross-firm, but also coach green belts and yellow belts who are empowered to go away and do their own thing and also our trainees get training in lean six sigma and the the idea is obviously to have that mature kind of model where it's really just a mindset rather than you know just project after project after project so that's what it looks like at, at kn it's more around getting people to think in a certain way and to challenge and to think about what it is they're doing and what value it's adding you're really creating the culture, aren't you? So you're not just yeah. you're not just training individuals to go away and do the projects. You're you're spreading it amongst everybody within the organisation. Yeah, absolutely. And and sort of when we have new new joiners, we they have a they have a CI induction. That's any new joiners, be it new you know new partners. They they all have a, a session with myself and Cliff where we talk about CI and innovation. Say, look, you know you're new to KN, and the best thing about that is that you've got fresh eyes and you can see some of the things that we might be blind to because you know all of us get sort of blinded to some of the processes that we do just because we do them Um, and so we always kind of reach out to them and say look please tell us what is completely bonkers to you when you've come here and said why on earth do they do that so actually it really is that kind of getting that culture when people join us as well as from the trainees as well. So what would you describe as your mission statement then do you have like a, a, a mantra that you're working towards? Yeah, so our, our mission statement from a CI point of view is to embed CI across KN, enabling greater client satisfaction, increasing profitability and creating a culture where our people are empowered to make change happen and are celebrated for doing so. And I think we still have to have client satisfaction rather than customer satisfaction. There's quite a kind of <laughs> delicacy about people. They lawyers still like their clients, um, even though we try and explain how they are also customers. But so we kept client in there. And yes, it's about increasing profitability, but as you say, it's more around celebrating when people come forward and say, look, I've been, I do it this way, but actually thinking about it, why have I been doing it this way? Could we do it a different way? And that's really what we, we think is really important. And Kane's got a great culture in terms of being non-hierarchical. It's about you know, being able to talk about and challenge wherever you are in the business, which is really important. Did you find that quite challenging when you went between doing the physical training where I, I presume customers was used and then you go back into the workplace and you used to use clients? Is that quite hard to adapt? I, I genuinely feel there's been so many translations that you have to go <laughs> when you take it back to law firms, you have to kind of, you know, check yourself in terms of talk about going to the Gemba. And it's like, you know, you're not talking about any of that. It's just like, we're going to go and sit with departments to talk about this. And you've got to really kind of just sometimes instill all these principles, but in a way that has words that resonate with lawyers and with people in a legal business, because sometimes those other things don't resonate. So if you think about the eight ways, for example, I to this day still find it very difficult to work out what those eight ways translate to in a legal sense. And you've got kind of overproduction, all these sort of things. And sometimes they're really overlapping. And even I, I've got a a green belt who I'm working on a project with at the moment and she comes to me and says what does this one mean and even I'm a bit like I actually don't know don't worry too much about it Mm. the point is it generally means this but it can be quite difficult to translate definitely I found that as well one of the eight ways is transportation and getting people to understand that transportation wasn't a lorry going from A to B or a van driving from A to B trying to get them to understand it was movement around the shop floor yeah because it doesn't really indicate that when you hear the word and some of the icons as well if you google it 
some of the icons they put with this stuff and it's misleading yeah. and I can imagine that's really challenging to try and translate that have you done that then have you have you been working through trying to move the content yeah so Cliff Cliff's done a, a really helpful kind of translation of what those eight ways in in law look like with examples you know like people having to check things too many times are people um are we duplicating effort are we gearing right is the gearing right so it, we've kind of made that made it relevant to law but you really have to do that at the outset because otherwise you know people are like, i don't i don't know what you mean by inventory what are you talking about i don't you know and it just again it's that kind of getting buy-in from making it relevant what's in it for me like how is this relevant to what i do yeah it's really really important to get kind of otherwise people just switch off and just won't really engage yeah exactly and if you lose them early on it's very difficult to get them back then isn't yeah. it you kind of get one go at doing it so what were the drivers then what what's led you in down this path I mean, initially, speaking pretty frankly, I mean, initially the driver was completely financial because we were saying, look, we, we, to go to these tenders, to win these tenders, to provide a low fixed fee and a low hourly rate, we need to kind of do this as efficiently as possible. And, you know, we're a London law firm. And one of the things that, you know, there's been so much movement in the legal market around regional offices, um, AI, automation. And so it really was a kind of look, how do we ensure that we are providing value for money, not necessarily low cost, but value for money. So that was the real driver at the start. And actually, what has then happened is that because technology and sort of legal tech in particular has accelerated at such a rate, it's also clear that like lean and, and sort of lean methodologies are crucial in working out how to implement those technologies in the business. Because, you know, if you put tech into a rubbish process, it's a disaster. And I say that from, from experience, as I'm sure many, many do. And so actually, the insertion of technology into the practice of law has to have a methodology behind it I mean that's not to say you take all the fun out of it you know it, it's it needs to obviously also remain sort of playful and enthusiastic and, and all those things but also it does involve well hold on let's just map out this process because actually is it the right solution for right now so that's why you know the drivers have completely changed I think I mean the, the legal market obviously has is, got massive challenges um, or sort of I should say the traditional legal market is being challenged in so many ways through the big four, sort of um, new startups, um, there's a massive change in client need. So the other driver, I think, for us is just really being able to hear the voice of the customer and all, or sorry, voice of the client. <laughs> um, and, and I think that's one of the key principles that it means that we always need to keep an eye on who are we doing this for? Are we doing it because it sounds good in a kind of latest press release? Are we doing it because we want to make our lives easier? Or are we doing it because actually this is the best thing for the client? And I think Lean really does always bring you back to that central reason for doing things, which I think is really important. I think I told you this when we were doing the prep for the show, but I did um, some jury service back at the beginning of this year. And it's my first experience of going into a court and, and it really changed my perspective on how you know, the legal service works, what some of the processes were. And I was, I was fortunate to be chosen for the jury on the first day. So there wasn't much waiting around on that day. <laughs> but what I found through the rest of the process was it was so inefficient in terms of they would call witnesses, but the witnesses had gone out for lunch or mm. they wasn't around. There was no planning. There was no there's so much waiting around. Then it would be the jury comes back in. So we would sit down. Then they would go, oh, we have a question, but we disagree with that. Can the jury leave the room whilst we discuss it? So we go back out again. Then we come back in again. And I couldn't believe the amount of inefficiency in the process. And of course, my lean mind was just ticking away. I just wanted to stand up and go, can I just give you some suggestions? <laughs> <laughs> would have gone down really well, Matt. Would have gone down really well. <laughs> 
It's funny because the practice of certainly, in, in, if you use that example, kind of criminal law and criminal advocacy and that, that kind of process is very much traditionally seen as almost, certainly from the barrister's point of view, it's, it's an art form, you know, it's not a process. It's, a, it's something that you're, you're skilled at and you go to bar school and it's all very um, kind of intangible about in terms of how, how you do it and how you do it well. I mean, if you say that, you know, what the old Dem, the Deming quote of, you know, if you don't can't describe what you're doing as a process, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, the idea of saying that to lots of sort of lawyers or barristers, they would be hugely offended by that, because, or certainly historically, because it's like, well, no, it's not a process. It's something, you know, it's bigger than the sum of its parts. It's an art form. And absolutely it is. And don't get me wrong, I've seen barristers and advocates who were just born to do it, right? However, that's not to say that there's not some benefit in outlining some process and challenging some of the things that, that we do and why we do them. So there definitely is a kind of balance to be struck there. I found it really amazing at the end of it when they asked us to submit our expenses. And I was expecting to go on to like an online portal and just upload a few <laughs> receipts. But it was a, a manual, fill out the form, staple the receipts to it and send it in the post. It blew my mind that, that that's what I was doing. It's like, what? <laughs> Crazy. So you mentioned that you've had to change some of the jargon. Yeah. So you gave the example of some of the eight wastes, but how about some of the tools? Have you had to change any of the, the physical names of the tools? No, I mean, certainly things like, you know, the five whys and the fishbone diagram. Generally speaking, now the tools that you've got, you know, the collaborative tools that we use, like Mural or whatever it is, they've got those templates. You don't have to call it whatever. You just go through the process. However, I think some of the terminology is useful. Like I always play, before I do the five whys exercise, I always play that video is it at the Jefferson Memorial? I can't yeah. remember which it is, the building where it's like, you know, why are the pigeons, why are there spiders, etc. I've probably summarized that completely wrong, but you know what I mean? That short video of why you're doing that exercise. Um, I always try and kind of contextualize it if I do use a kind of kind of lean tool and sort of explain why it's relevant to what we're doing. I tend to not a lot of the data crunching happens behind the scenes in terms of we get a lot of data in terms of what people do because obviously lawyers like to record every six minutes they do <laughs> um so you've actually got a lot of data and a lot of that stuff the kind of stats that you do around that the six sigma stuff kind of happens a little bit behind the scenes and then you play that back to people in a kind of um, maybe more user-friendly way but generally speaking that the tools that we've certainly found the most useful um, is the five whys. I think you just can't, you can't beat it. Yeah. And it's so simple and it's so obvious yeah. when you do it. <laughs> but again, though, going back to your previous point, it's not very descriptive. Five whys straight away implies we ask why five times. You have to kind of yeah. explain yeah. to people, it's yeah. called five why, but don't stop at five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We chuck you out after five. No, it's it's really good. And, and it's so funny how at the end of it, you come out with things and people are kind of surprised at what they've come out with. One of the things we do in the induction for CI is uh, what Cliff does is get people to bring a watch with them and get people to kind of draw their watch without looking at it. And then obviously recognizing how, although you look at something every day, you don't really see it sometimes because you just look at it every day. And I think sometimes people are so surprised at what, they, <laughs> what they've been doing. And you say, well, why have you been doing that? Like, well, I've, I've just been doing it because because of this and then you keep going you keep going and they come out sort of quite surprised and sort of enlightened so it's yeah. really good fun it's that penny drop moment yeah i don't know if you've seen it but there's a video that i like to show and it's about the monkeys getting squirted in the cage have you seen no, it no i haven't i mean it sounds a bit bizarre i'm gonna make a right hash <laughs> of trying to explain this right but basically there was this experiment done where there was like 12 monkeys in a cage in the middle of the cage was a ladder and at the top of the ladder were some bananas that were hanging from the top and when the, the monkeys tried to climb the ladder to get to the bananas, they were squirted with a hose. 
So the, what happened was the 12 monkeys in there learned that if we go near those bananas, we're going to get squirted. So we're not going to go near them. We don't go near them. And, and they stopped. But then what they did over a period of like six months, they kept taking the monkey out and replacing it with a new monkey. Oh. And that new monkey would go in there and he would go to climb that ladder. And they go, no, 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 don't <laughs> climb the ladder. You're going to get squirted. So he wouldn't climb up there. Yeah. Anyway, over this period, they eventually replaced all the 12 monkeys. So by the end of it, all of those monkeys had never experienced being squirted. Yet still they didn't try and go and get the banana. They didn't try and climb the ladder. So, But they wouldn't do it just through, we've always done it this yeah. way. We can't go down that road. And it's a really good way of explaining how socially we become conditioned to the environment we're in. Absolutely. Rather than going, well, actually, let's question yeah. that. We can change the way we do it. I don't think I did too bad. No, I, it makes complete sense. Um, <laughs> I, and, I, and I think that's why, you know, that in that mission state, in the vision statement around just embedding a culture where you, it, it's okay to challenge people, whether that be someone more senior mm. than you or, or less senior than you, it doesn't matter. It's the way you do it. You know, it's the framework in which you do it around a kind of healthy curiosity where you're kind of celebrated for asking those questions rather than being like, well, how dare you ask that? I'm, you know, more senior than you and this is how we do it. That's just so far from what we are as an organization. So I think that's why it's been so much easier to embed such a kind of broad CI program, I think. Learn and be curious is the way I'd phrase it. Yeah. You've got to ask the questions. I saw a thing on LinkedIn the other day. These little things pop up every now and then. And it says something along the lines of, we don't employ clever people to tell them what to do. We employ clever people for them to tell us what to do yeah, because yeah. they're coming in and asking the right questions. Yeah, that makes complete sense. It's so true. Yeah. It's it's funny because I, I posted out on LinkedIn the other day of warming people up to the fact this episode was coming. And my phone kept flashing. Like, I was like, what's going on? I looked at it and there's like 30 people from law firm who liked it. And I was like, wow, this is great. The engagement in it is amazing. Oh, yeah. And I think that comes, I've listened to other sort of episodes of the podcast. I think there's an agreement that, you know, it's really got to come from the top. If they, they need got to really understand why it is that it needs the, the input it does. And it's not just sort of a letting it happen, you know, letting these people get on with their CI stuff. It's actually around them understanding the value of it. And actually, mm. if you don't have that senior leadership buy-in, then I think you're really kind of pushing at a, a much harder door to open. So yeah, I think that, that senior leadership buy-in is just so important. Was it the senior leadership that wanted to bring this in and, and search for people to do it? Or was it, was it people within company that goes, we should do this? Yeah, it came from, so initially it was Rowena, as I say, she, she was a real kind of driver for it. And I kind of jumped on that bandwagon. We both sort of had a lot of fun with it. And, you know, we went to senior management, went to our leaders and said, look, this is what we want to do. And initially it was very much a, yeah, I mean, that sounds like a sensible thing to do. I can understand why you want to do that. So it very much started that way. But then as it kind of, as I saw the benefits of it, it started to kind of become bigger. But there were sort of flashpoints along the way. In any organization, you have people sometimes saying, well, isn't this just common sense? Like why, we, yeah, there's this kind of, isn't this just common sense? It's like, well, if it's just common sense, it ha why hasn't this been done? You know, it, it, that's not kind of how it works. And, and kind of it, sometimes there is effort needed to explain to senior leadership why it's relevant, what's in it for them. And again, translating it into the legal business. So I, I, I don't think you can expect senior leadership to just see immediately, this is really, really important. Let's throw money at it. I think it's mm. quite a gradual process. Um, and then showing them the benefits of that, both in terms of pounds and pence, but also in terms of the talent you're attracting and the kind of cognitive diversity you get from having certainly non-lawyers uh, and lean practitioners to, to question you as well. How did you frame that then? How did you get them to understand that it was the right thing to do? I mean, it was easy. when Back when we first started, as I say, it was all around kind of improving profit margins from a, on a kind of fixed fee model. 
And so it was quite easy to say, well, look, this is the waste. This is how much it's costing. This is what we can do. This is how much we can give you back so we can pay for ourselves and, and some. So it's very much very kind of financial return on investment at the start. And then I think it was more around as the legal market more broadly was changing, it was showing them that kind of, I don't want to say, I don't like burning platform because I don't think it's particularly positive. I think it's more that sort of look what's going on in the market. How are we going to navigate that? Well, we could just do it in a kind of haphazard sort of way of trying to just do what we think is right. Or we could use this same methodology, not so much Six Sigma, but the lean methodology to make sure that that client-centered approach drives what we're doing. And don't get me wrong, we've still got a long way to go. I think law, generally speaking, isn't always great at listening to, or law firms traditionally haven't been great at listening to their clients in a broad sense. And actually, there was a really interesting pilot that the SRA ran around kind of review platforms, a bit like Trustpilot, about you know how do clients actually give their feedback on law firms. And I still think there's a, there's a long way to go. But I think making sure that the firm saw the benefit of the broader approach, I think, became more important than just the pennies and pounds at the outset. That's interesting. So get them to think about the long game rather than the short game. Yeah. Is the, yeah, that's the challenge, because when you go to a senior leader, all they're worried about initially is, you know, what's our financial target in year? What's this going to deliver me? Yeah. And it's so hard to get people to put that initial investment in for the long term. And I'm looking for the magic, you know, the medicine that I can hand out to people and go, take this and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Still haven't found it. Yeah. Not found it yet. No, what I, <laughs> I think that I think that when you're because of, there's been so much sort of change in the kind of volatile way of the world at the moment and the kind of rise of volatility and what's going on I think that kind of horizon one horizon two horizon three planning in terms of you know one year five year ten years that's where lean really helps you doesn't it because it's just like well where do we need to be to make sure that we're in the right place for these clients it's not you know in the meantime yes you can do some domestic projects on particular aspects of billing or client inquiries or whatever it is but I think it's it's actually broader than that Um, and it's more the kind of leadership management point of view that also brings the benefit. Yeah. And I guess it's not like you go to, you know, clients as they're looking f- for someone and they go, you go, but by the way, we, we do lean and they go, oh, right, we're in, <laughs> yeah. we're coming to you then. Yeah. It's, it's all yeah. that goes on where the customer doesn't see, isn't it? Absolutely. Are you ready to elevate your team's ways of working? Are you seeking fresh insights and growth opportunities? Our experts will assess your team's practices, providing valuable insights for improvement and celebration. Reward and recognize your team with this certification tailored specifically for creating an improvement culture. The BQF Academy accreditation acknowledges your journey, outstanding outcomes and future plans. Whether you utilize Lean, Six Sigma, project management, or continuous improvement techniques, this certification celebrates your incredible work and positive impact. Propel your team's performance to new heights with the BQF Team Excellence Culture Certification. Visit www.bqf.org.uk today and let's celebrate your success together. 13-time single prize winner, Dr. Jeffrey Liker and Toyota Kata author Mike Rother have created the Improvement Kata and Coaching Kata online course. This inexpensive, compact program is designed to transform your thinking and approach, making you a highly skilled learner and coach. Engage in deliberate practice to turbocharge your progress. 
You also get lifetime access to the materials, including all of the bonus interviews. Why pay up to 10 times the price elsewhere listening to some consultant when you can gain direct insights from the masters themselves? Skip the rest and go with the best. Join us today and embark on your journey to excellence. Just click on the link below to start your journey. Have other firms that uh, presumably you all know people in other firms, do they like yep. listen to what you do and go, oh, we're going to do that? So historically, there's not been a huge amount. So I, you know, Rowena is now at another law firm and another colleague who was doing it is now at another law firm. So we do, kind of, we have kind of spread out into the, into the sector and some, some are former lawyers and some are not. The great benefit of, of our team is, you know, Cliff's history expertise is in completely different areas of industry, different industries, which I think is just so important because law is, can be so introvert, you know, internal looking. And so that there are lots of people doing different things. I think we don't get together as, not, as much as we should. I think there's still been a kind of, well, we're doing this thing and actually it's a bit of a competitor advantage. So let's not talk too much in too much detail about what we do, which I think as with, as with anything is always flawed. So we're getting better at kind of sharing mainly, you know, mistakes. And, you know, I tried to do this, I tried to do that. It was a complete disaster or this worked really well. I think we need to get a lot better at doing that as a kind of lean in legal thing, really. It's quite common that actually... On the episode I did with James Franz, who leads the Toyota Way Academy, he was telling me how Toyota, when they first kicked off TPS, the Toyota production system, they opened the doors and let everybody in, yeah. which is totally different to what you see everywhere else. The reason they did that, they were happy for people to come in and see the solutions they deployed because they knew that they couldn't go away and copy it because they didn't know what the problems they were trying to solve. Oh, yeah. Because if you just take the solution and deploy it, you don't know if it's fixing the same problems. You might have the same impact. Absolutely. That makes complete sense. So if we were to say that we've created this um, solution to a problem, the the merits of just copying that solution at that law firm, in fact, it would probably be a disaster because, again, you're not fixing the same problem. You've not got the same sort of drivers. So, yeah, that does make complete sense. And that, that, that's another reason why, you know, we need to be a lot more collaborative. Now that it's getting sort of bigger in terms of as a movement, I think there's definitely more room to collaborate. I used to go on like LinkedIn jobs you know, 10 years ago. There'd be nothing out there for continuous improvement. It'd be such a small market. They are everywhere now, like business yeah. intelligence, continuous improvement, operational excellence. It's the big thing, isn't it? Everyone wants to do it. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I think what's important, though, is, and this goes with anything, is just like not doing it because everyone else is doing it. It's doing it for the right reasons. And actually, if you've got this actual kind of culture of continuous improvement, it means that you really are doing the right things at the right thing for your firm. So you see another firm that's got a humongous legal ops function or whatever, incubator hubs or whatever it may be, and that works for them. That may, you know, that's, and that's great. But the whole thing around it is, well, what's, what's, what do we need? It's not about copying. It's about kind of having a healthy interest in what people are doing to spark curiosity, but making sure that it comes back down to your basics and your client who are going to be different with every different law firm. And your people as well in the firm. Yeah, absolutely. It goes back to that generational piece. Everyone learns differently. Everyone's yeah. got different mindsets and understanding that. So tell us about some of the challenges that you face. And I know we've touched on some of them. This is the bit that I like because this is where people can listen and go, yeah, we have challenges like that as well. How did we overcome those? How did they overcome those? Yes, I think one of the, I mean, speaking completely frankly, one of the challenges, is, you know, lawyers can have a, let's call it healthy scepticism about some things. And so you've really got to be persuasive about how it's going to actually make a difference for them and in their particular practice area. They're also quite time poor. And the, I think the billing model that, or the kind of 
the billable hour model, which we know has persisted for, for a long time and obviously continues to persist at the moment, doesn't help because they have to put a certain chargeable amount of hours a day. And so when you're trying to get time, it can, it can be difficult. And I think, in fact, that billable hour model has been a, a challenge in the past. Why should, you know, why should we improve efficiency when we charge an hourly rate and our clients are paying it? So, you know, there, I think historically there's been, I mean, I think there's been a tie change, although no one's obviously been brave enough to kind of move away entirely from that model. But I think that clients are more discerning about, well, actually, I need, I, all I care about is the value I'm getting, not how many hours you've spent on it, especially in the advent of chat GPT and AI. Mm. Um, they're going to expect that. So I think that has historically been a challenge. I think that will change. Regulation, law is an industry that's heavily regulated. And so when you have quite sort of true innovation sessions in terms of plainful sessions where you're really thinking about what's possible with that whole kind of think like there is no box sort of thing, there is always a box because there is regulation. So you, it's really kind of difficult to sometimes say, look, be creative. That's, that's fantastic. And then we'll lay the regulation on top of that. But I think lawyers find that really hard to take off the regulation think about something and then put it back on because you know thinking well, what about this what are the risks what what happens if if this happens and I think they're quite I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing a lot here but you know they can be a risk averse profession especially because you know they're often they're paid to look at what could go wrong to make sure they're looking out for your interests so I think that can be be quite challenging it's a natural mindset isn't it in that field it, it, it is and it's kind of going through things with a t- fine tooth comb and looking at problems I think the other thing that's been a challenge, and I think all law firms, certainly traditional law firms have this, which I think startups don't, is they have these kind of silos of practice area. So, you know, you've got your your family law, your employment law, your different kind of practice areas, and that can sometimes drive variability in some processes, where, which isn't always needed. There's obviously variability in the outputs in terms of what's needed, but in some of those underlying processes, billing, all the things that happen in all of those, it just drives variation. And actually, that's a really big area that we need to work on in terms of making sure because the client doesn't care. Yeah, the client doesn't care what practice area and what kind of desk they, they, these people are sitting in, they just care that the process is, uh, uh, you know, a light touch and, and, and they're getting value for money. So I think that's, that's a historic challenge. Yes, yeah, that, that regulatory stuff, I can imagine is really binding, actually can be a real challenge to overcome. Um, I think it's hard enough just in, on a manufacturing line where you're creating multiple of the same products throughout a day and you're trying to get different shifts just to remove the variation and do it in the same way. Yeah. If you've got this underlying piece there, that must be really challenging. I mean, we're really lucky because we've got um, legal services regulatory advisory team who this is literally what they do. They advise law firms on how to navigate regulation and they've got a fantastic mindset. They're really massively behind the innovation and CI program. And so we can just go to them and say, look, we want to do this. <laughs> We've come up with this idea. How can we navigate in a, in a completely you know, legitimate, forward-thinking way? How, how do we apply regulation, the principles of regulation to that while still pushing the boundary? So we're quite lucky to have that internal resource. Yeah, that's incredible. So how was things like chat GPT and, and AI impacted? Because this is the big thing at the moment, isn't it? This is huge. It is huge. And I think, I mean, speaking completely honestly, Matt, there is part of me that loves it because it's a bit like, I have been saying this for so many yeah, yeah. years. And there's a kind of like, you know, I did say that, you know, down the line, we've got to think about this and the other. And I think chat GPT has really not only showed what is down the, down the track, but also the speed at which it's coming for you. And I think that's really helped in that respect. And I think that what it has also done is started to get lawyers to think about their end-to-end of what they provide a client and what parts of that they are valuable in. 
right? So mm. there are bits that can be automated. There are bits that clients won't want to be automated. And actually, it's starting to get lawyers to think about well, where's the value that I'm actually providing, like the human value, which I think is always a healthy thing to start questioning what you do as a process. And so actually, it's made that more imperative, I think. So I'm fully here for it. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Do you know what? I used to spend hours writing the show notes that go underneath the episodes when we release the podcast. Yeah. Um, I now just paste into chat GPT the key bits and it writes it for me. Don't tell anyone, it's a secret. It's really good. It's brilliant. It's so good. And the kids' bedtime stories as well. I, you know, I say, write me a bedtime story about my daughter and her trip to the moon. Do you? I've never tried. Is that a thing? Oh, I might try that. Does it in seconds. Just say, you know, say, so say write, me a, write me a bedtime story where Millie goes to the moon <laughs> and she eats lots of cheese and then she comes back and she turns into a mouse. And within like half a second, it will write you this bedtime story. I'm actually going to do that. I'm actually going to do that. You tell it how many words you want, though, you get a novel. Yeah, but yeah, I'm definitely going to say as part of the prompts, though, part of the instructions, NB must be under three minutes. <laughs> yeah, 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 no more than 50 words. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I go down, I haven't told the kids how I'm doing it, and I go, oh, I'll write your story this morning. They just morning. think you're really creative. Yeah, they think I'm amazing. <laughs> it's so good though but you can do so much on it even with lean though so it's, and lean six sigma the statistical stuff if you paste the data into chat gpt you can ask it to do the analysis for you you can ask it what you do to fix the problem that it identifies it's amazing well at the session that i saw you speak you know they did a kind of demo of it and it was just it was just insane how it kind of you know found the upper control limits lower control limits and everyone in the room was just kind of aghast at what it what it can do um and obviously it has its, its limits at moments and, and kind of risks and all those sorts of things you have to pick the bones out of but the point is is when you're kind of impressed by some by technology something that really blows your socks off you know that that's just the thin end of the wedge of what's, yeah. of what's coming it's it's amazing and and i don't i don't look at it as oh my god that's going to take my job away you know, we don't need lead experts no. anymore i look at it as making my job easier absolutely and i think also the the change management tools that you're taught as part of lean and as part of especially the business black belt at, at catalyst you know n now more than ever change management is 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 key because we've all got change fatigue all of us like we're all sick of it yeah we had covid we had this we had all of this kind of terrible things happening and you know there is change fatigue but it's not going to stop you know so we've got to navigate it in a way that makes people still feel kind of hopeful for the future mm. and that and their part in it isn't it funny as as human beings that we are so change adverse? Even even people like you know, I speak for myself here that you know I I champion change. Yeah, I love my routine. <laughs> if my routine yeah. gets deviated from, I, I yeah. can't cope. It's just human instinct. It's yeah. really funny. I've got a um a, my daughter. She's nine months now, but uh, we have a routine where we know that it works between me and my wife, where we sort of tag up and we both get a certain amount of sleep based on this routine. Yeah. If my wife says, oh, she's going out for a, you know, uh, with her company for a meal that evening, it changed my routine. I'm like, absolutely panicking. Not. I'm like, what oh, am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> How am I going to get over this? Yeah, this this is true. change. <laughs> it's true. What's that thing? Yeah, the only constant is yeah. change or whatever it is. It's just, it's coming for us. And it's just, just trying to stay playful and, and optimistic with it. And I think that's the value that, you know, people like yourself and other consultants, and, you know, at Catalyst, et cetera, they play. It's that kind of, yeah, that this is happening. Don't don't fear it. Embrace it. Have fun along the way, and sort of see it as a as an opportunity rather than looking at what you're losing. I think two key things with change is is make it fun and keep people informed. 
Yeah. People don't like surprises. They need to understand no. why yeah. and when and how. Was it what, what, how, when, who and why? Like key elements, aren't they? Absolutely. So let's move more into the the cultural side then. So about how you've built the culture. I'd love to hear some like use cases of, of what you've done in this field. So in terms of use cases, there's been loads. They're usually the kind of usual suspects, really repeatable, the really more repeatable stuff. So your billing, your new client inquiries, um, that sort of stuff. We've also done um, a big project with our quarter protection team. So they're a team of lawyers who act as deputies for people who are elderly people who have got brain injury or people who need their finances looking after. So a lot of what they do involves uh, management of people's finances and sort of looking after their interests. And uh, they've got, you know, a huge amount of clients that they work for. And so I did a project with them looking at how we could improve those processes. So that's been a, a big, big project recently. But for me, the, the use cases have slightly changed because as we're saying, you know, we've still got the Demaic stuff and that's great. But it's the kind of agile startup type stuff that I've, I learned at Catalyst training around kind of empathy mapping, looking at what our clients want, looking at what products we can use. At the moment, that's the kind of use cases that excite me and sort of I'm focusing on because I think actually we've got some really exciting new products that sort have of coming out in the next sort of few months, which I'm really excited about. But it's, it's also getting the firm behind that kind of agile let's just get it out there. Yeah. It's not going to be perfect. Let's just get it out there. And then we're going to listen to what the clients think of it. And then if they tell us it's rubbish, we're going to ask them what would make it better. And that, you know, that for us at the moment is where that's the use cases that we're really working, working on is using that kind of agile demand for kind of springboard for innovation. And again, it goes back to the human mindset. We naturally want to not deploy anything until it's 100% there. It's polished. Oh, it's 100%. nice. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, it's, but it's not what people want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you but there, it's too we spent so much time on it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's changing that mindset. And that, that deploying sort of 75% yeah. of a product now and then learning from the feedback is, I think that's the much better way of doing it. So have you created metrics and, and measures for success? How do you measure the success of what you're doing? So it's really difficult, actually, in a law firm, because often law firm metrics are sometimes quite blunt tools. So they talk in terms of you know, revenue per partner or, or, or contribution, which is quite a difficult figure to, to unpack in terms of the, it includes the overheads of the firm, it includes lots of different things. So actually, when you're doing a project, one of, one of the first projects I did, we use contribution as a metric, but actually, it's really, really pointless in some respects, because it's re- even if you made massive change, which in some respects really moved the needle, you'd see like a 1% change in contribution. So from a control point of view, it's really difficult because you're like, well, I'm not going to see the changes. It's too blunt a metric. So some of the historic metrics that law firms use, I think are unhelpful. So it's really about drilling down into more granular metrics when you're doing sort of domain projects. I think on the other side, from an innovation point of view, as far as I'm concerned, the metrics for me are, you know, number of suggestions that come into our, we've got an innovation framework called Kairos. It's, you know, it's, it's how many ideas are we getting in? How many sort of ideas are we progressing? Um, how many people reach out to me and ask me a question? You know, it, it's things like that in my head that as a metric, yeah. I want to make sure keep, keep going up rather than going down. Yeah, you're so right. Focus on the engagement metrics, because if you get the engagement yeah. metrics and you get the input that you want, you're going to get that output naturally. The rest should follow, hopefully. Yeah, it's so true. And that's the hardest thing I find, because lots of metrics in, in all industries are floating around already, but there's not many on the engagement side. No. And you have to kind of create them. Absolutely. I think sort of a lot of these new products that we're launching, you know, it's have it's kind of work out of our version of a net promoter score so we can actually see the sort of what people are thinking of products. I think those are a lot more helpful metrics 
in terms of what the client's thinking than kind of some of the pounds and pence kind of weird kind of sometimes quite archaic financial measures that that you have in the legal profession net promoter score is a really interesting one for me so if we just look at europe for example the MPS scores are so influenced by the culture of that area. Mm. And basically what MPS is, it just basically works out whether people would take the training again, whether they thought it was any good. And if you ask people in Spain, they'll be really honest and they'll give you the the MPS score and you'll get like 90% or something. You ask people in France, they just don't bother answering it. You ask people (laughs) in the UK and they all sit on the fence. Everyone goes, oh, maybe. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Would you recommend it? Oh, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, which is no good for MPS (laughs) because maybe it gets (laughs) discounted, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's so – and I find MPS is such a a weird measure. I like the the premise of it, but I just find that I find it really difficult to actually get any meaningful data. Yeah, and that's why we need – yeah, and that's why we kind of have amended it a little bit, especially because in this particular product that we're launching, which will sort of all come out in the next sort of few months, it's for a really niche customer, niche client. So it's more to gather the feelings of that product as we go along rather than as in comparison with other things. It's more just a, are you liking our product more than you did when we first started it because we've added in these extra apps, all these extra things. So um, that's kind of how we're trying to adapt it. But again, it's all, you know, it's it's completely all new and even that in itself is going to be kind of quite agile of saying, yeah, you know, yeah. is there a better way of us finding out whether you're liking the product? So it's all up for grabs. So when you, you say you got the like the ideas submission that you have come through, do you encourage people to use some of the basic like five whys to get to the root cause of a problem when they submit the idea? So when the idea is more kind of problem based, I look, this is a problem. I don't know the solution, but this has got to change because it's not the most useful way of doing it. That's definitely more one for kind of the traditional CI sort of let's go and do some root cause analysis. Let's just, you know, have a few initial discussions about it. When it's more, wouldn't it be great if the more sort of true innovation stuff, which let's be honest, even in an office, it's not hugely radical. Like it's not kind of, you know, um, it's still sort of embedded in some sort of um, legal process. But generally speaking, we look more to the, the kind of empathy mapping stuff, the agile stuff we kind of apply that more than the the five whys because I just think that it's more free flow. It's more kind of fun. It's more sort of let's just let's just sit and talk about how, you know, we can create something really new and cool. Whereas I think if it's more just that this is a problem, this is something we do at the moment, I'm not sure it's right. That's when we'll do the kind of five whys of why we're doing it and et cetera, et cetera. So I think different strokes for different sort of things, really. Yeah. And I suppose at that stage, do you bring the person to submit the idea in and give them coaching and guidance on what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Although you've got some you've got some people that put in an idea and say, look, I've had this idea. I've got this problem and I'm too busy to deal with it. And that's OK. People say, well, actually, you can't you shouldn't really go forward with an idea if, if no one's engaged. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think if someone has said, look, this is what I've got. I've got a thought about this that, and the other if you can get other people that can help you kind of maybe navigate that, I think that's also okay. Otherwise, you know, these people do have a day job as well. And so, and, you know, I, I get, I do get the idea that, you know, it's not someone's job to do innovation. It's everybody's job to do it. However, I don't have 15 clients to speak to a day. So there is an element of actually helping people in that mm. respect and sort of running with some of their ideas for them. But generally speaking, people do want to also own their idea and, and then present it themselves in front of management board and management team because you know it's their baby and we help them kind of you know empower them to do that so the people that are, are really interested and really get into it do you offer some form of career path for them to move forward in this space 
we offer lots and lots of sort of training qualifications in terms of green belts, yellow belts, etc. But I think there's more than that. I think we have a time recording codes in terms of CI and shortly innovation in terms of, you know, where you record your time, which, you know, in your appraisal or if you're going for promotion or whatever, that's talked about because obviously there's a recognition that just sitting on a chair and billing and billing and billing, which, you know, has obviously huge value. It also has huge value to stop and, and, and engage with the kind of innovation function in, in the firm. So I think that's something that we need to do a bit more of in terms of sort of pushing uh, metric for what we've used in innovation. Look, I've been absolutely inspired. And, you know, if I was 20 years younger, I think I'd go and train to work in law now <laughs> and come and work at your firm. <laughs> it would be really good. <laughs> it's, it's great. Good fun. It's good fun. Um, I'm going to put you to the real test now. Oh, Lord. Okay, this is probably okay. going to be the highlight of your career. Depends how it goes. <laughs> this is probably harder than the uh, <laughs> the business black belt. This will be hard. Okay. So we play a little game on the um, the Everseline podcast called the Yes No Game, and it's ironic because you actually can't say yes or no, but it's called the Yes No Game. Okay. So I will fire you some real weird and wonderful questions. Okay. Over sixty seconds, and you can just. Answer them however you like, but don't say yes or no. That's the only rule. Right. You ready? Should we try it? Yeah. Oh, hold on. <laughs> yeah, I nearly just got it wrong immediately. Are you ready? Yes. Uh, yes. That was a, that, I already started. You're that out. That was just Sorry. a practice. No, that was a practice. Right. Okay. <laughs> 60 seconds on the clock. Do not say the word yes or no. Simple as that. What is your favourite food? My favourite food is... Sushi. Sushi. Do you like the uh, the one that's got the sesame seeds around the side? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's not bad. I mean, it's not ideal, Matt, is it? I've literally, that was the second question of 60 seconds. Was I about five questions in, seconds in? That, yeah, oh. I mean, it's a good good job we're not charging by the hour, is what I would say, because <laughs> you wouldn't be making much profit. Well, there you go. No, actually, I was very efficient. <laughs> very efficient. <laughs> Do you know what, though? I tried sushi for the first time the other day. Like, you know, the one the trays you get in, like, the supermarket that are already all prepped up? Yeah. And I've always been a little bit apprehensive, but I really liked it, and it was really nice. Do you know, what's really bizarre is, I don't, I mean, I like sushi, but it's definitely not my favourite food. I just panicked. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. I just said it. It just makes it even worse. Do you like the ones? Yeah, so you lied. You lied and then you got it wrong. <laughs> there you go, kids. As a, as a lesson for you all there. A tangled web we weave when we continue to deceive. Never mind. It's been worse. Uh, oh right. So what's what's happening for you then? What's what's next up in, in your career now? So as I said, we've got some really exciting launches of some products that we're going out to market with, which is really exciting. So watch this space. I can't say too much at the moment, but watch this space. Ooh. We're also working more and more with external clients who approach us and say, actually, we really like some some advice on our sort of processes, policies, procedures that have a legal aspect to it, but sometimes regulatory, but not always. So we're actually getting kind of more interest for that kind of not just legal advice, but sort of quasi-legal process advice. And so we're looking more and more about how what that offering is going to look like. So that's very exciting. One of the things we're really keen to do and it may be that sort of as a result of this we, we get some more sort of leads but we're really keen to collaborate with people outside the legal profession or outside that industry to share experience of, of, of lean actually it was really interesting listening to the space guys at the catalyst event you know it's, we want to collaborate more in that respect with universities 
startups, people sort of outside traditional areas of law to kind of get our heads together and talk about lean and innovation. So that's something we're really, really keen to do. So that's that's kind of what's coming up next for, for us. So if people listening now want to get in contact with you and, and sort of collaborate and, and sort of share some stories, what's the best way they can do that? Absolutely. Um, either sort of reach out on LinkedIn or contact me at Harris at kingsandapple.co.uk. I'm always willing to talk about sort of new ideas, new thoughts. Yeah, just just get in touch. It's great. And that's one of the things I love about working in this industry is that you can just talk to people, like-minded people, and they could be doing, you know, they could be packing boxes on a production line and, and you could be working in the legal profession, but you, you speak the same language. Yeah. It's so good. I, I love that. It's brilliant. Yeah. So hopefully we can do a bit more, bit more of that. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure and I've learned so much. Thanks, Matt. So some key takeaways from today's discussion with Sarah. It was amazing to hear how we can apply this methodology in something so different. Now, I know we've spoken about this before, how it can apply to anything, but actually hearing firsthand how that's happening in the industry of law was absolutely brilliant. I loved hearing about it. It was so good. Something that jumped out for me was how Sarah and her team have sold this to their senior leaders. Thinking about the long-term gains rather than the short-term gains, it was born from within. This isn't something that their senior leadership team said, we want to go down the lean methodology route. It was actually built out by the team themselves then presented back to the leadership. Get their buy-in, frame it in the right way, build up their trust and then deliver the results. Exactly like we've heard from our other guests in the past. Absolutely brilliant. What I really liked as well is the way that the traditional Lean or Lean Six Sigma as we know it doesn't fit every single use case. And what I loved is how Sarah's firm have taken it and they've translated it into their own language to fit what they do. So for example, she spoke about how they don't have customers, they have clients. So you don't have voice of the customer, you have voice of the client. She slipped up but she, she's doing it and they're doing it in the organisation. So it's great that they do that. So don't feel in your organisation like you have to stick rigidly to the demaic cycle or use a tool at a certain step because it says you have to do that. You don't have to do that. You find the way that works for you, convert it into a language that works in your organisation because if you don't, it's not going to stick. People will not stick with something that doesn't fit because they'll see through it. And the last one that really stood out for me was make change fun and see it as an opportunity. Get those ideas coming in. Every problem is a treasure. And it's so true, isn't it? If you look at every problem as a treasure, as an opportunity to do well, opportunity to change things and make things better, that's just such a great way of thinking. I really like that. Make it fun, make it enjoyable, and people will stick with it. That brings us to an end of this episode of the Eversaline podcast. Thanks to Sarah for joining us today and sharing the ins and outs of lean in the legal profession. It's so complex and there's so much that needs to be unpicked and still so far to go as well with the likes of AI and ChatGPT. There's, there's so much in there. And I, I think it's going from strength to strength and hearing Sarah's passion and, and what she's doing there and how she's keen to speak to others in other industries about what they're doing really does fill me with such joy and, and just belief that things are moving forward with Lean in so many different areas. If you like the sound of today's show and would like to hear more, please subscribe and follow the Everseline podcast at everseline.com. We'll also find episodes that you might have missed. Also, if you're on the socials, search for the Everseline podcast, give us a follow and let me know your lean efforts because I really would love to hear all about them. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. And don't forget, Everseline. 
you know it makes sense. The Everseline podcast is researched, produced and recorded by Matt Sims. Visit everseline.com to find out more. <laughs> <laughs>